0: Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a copy of God's Word with you today, you can find your way to the Old Testament book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, and you can find your way to Psalm 127. And I am not a vain person. Somebody asked if I wanted the lights on up here, and I said no. But now that I have a Bible open in front of me, I actually see that I do want those lights on. Uh, maybe that's because I'm getting old, so I'm just going to do this really quick. Let's see if I get that one. And oh, light. Praise the Lord for light. He said, let there be light. And there was, and it was good. And I agree with the Lord. Light is a good thing. I can see. Perfect. Perfect. Good to be with you this morning as we conclude our series on the family. And I hope that it's become evident by this point in time that this is by no means an exhaustive teaching on the family. We're concluding a series today, but I hope that it has I hope that it has served to spark your interest in what God teaches about the family to a further degree. I hope that instead of just scratching the surface here on a Sunday morning about God's design, about The man, husband, father, the woman, wife, mother, the children this morning, I hope that it has scratched that surface surface and revealed something greater to you that causes you to dig into God's word deeper and to explore and understand the family and all of its members in a greater way. Uh, It's been challenging for me as I teach through it. I have learned, uh, thankfully, in all of these categories, and I praise God for his word and his instruction. Thankful for the Holy Spirit in teaching and guiding us. As we conclude this series to keep in front of us, Family Matters is a series seeking to bring biblical clarity and definition to the family, its roles, its members, how God has designed it. It is a series intended to equip us as God's people to stand against the culture's view on family and to stand for a biblical view on family as Christians, our view no matter what it is, the, the, the buzzword in today's world is worldview, Our world view must be shaped by the Bible. When we look out on the world, we must look through a biblical lens. And that extends to every category that you can think of within the world. And so as we consider the family, our view must be biblical. We must be looking through the lens of scripture. There is a battle being waged on the family if you're paying attention to the news, you're seeing this on a daily basis. On any given day, you'll hear something that is being worked on legislatively. You'll hear those who are protesting, those who are calling for movements, in our country especially, that would undermine and remove God's design from and for the family. It's not a new battle, it has been raging since the family was first designed. Since God gave it in the Garden of Eden, the enemy of God and of God's people has been attacking the family, distorting God's word, distorting the truth, and deceiving man from following what God has designed. We have considered so far, if you have not been here, just a brief recap so that you can be up to speed as we continue today. We have considered so far that God made man in his image and according to his likeness. God made man to be fruitful. To multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it and have dominion over it. Whether single or married, whether a father or not, man is to obey God and man's role is to lead those around him in obedience to God. We considered last week the role of woman. Whether single or married, whether she is a mother or not, she is to submit to the Lord And to the authority of man in her life, that being father or husband, as unto the Lord. Her submission to the male role in her life reflects her submission to God and glorifies God. She is a teacher helping young women to love their husbands and their children and to reverence God and to bring glory to God's word that his word, Titus says, may not be maligned. We've also kept in mind that though God's design was perfect in the garden, due to the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, everything we know about the family is ruined. It's broken. We may talk about, you may hear the word depravity. Some will talk about the total depravity of man. And I don't ever want you to hear that and hear a buzzword and not know what it's talking about. Depravity does not mean that every man is as sinful as they can be. Depravity simply means that every man is affected by sin. There is none of us left untouched by sin's effect. All of us, to one degree or another, are affected by sin. We have all sinned the Bible says. And so when you hear that word, that is what's being talked about in its purest and truest definition. Depravity is the fact that we have all been affected by the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden and that has ruined God's design. And so we are, and the world is, strangely enough, as we look out on the world and consider all that they are doing and all that is being done to attack the family, strangely enough, what they are truly doing is trying to get back to God's design and they are not able to. Every attempt of theirs is to return to something, but they cannot do it. Why? Because they are without God in the world. And we as Christians have a necessary obligation as Christians to obey God's design, to return to God's design. And so this series, uh, I pray, has been helpful in that. One note uh, from last week's message on uh, the woman and the role of woman. First, uh, I recognize my imperfections as a teacher. And as I reflected uh, on last week's message, uh, I felt that I did, whether it was me and my flesh, which I'm always fighting as I preach and teach, whether it was the enemy trying to suppress the truth, uh, whatever it was, it doesn't matter. As I reflected, I felt that I did a poor job of conveying that the primary role of woman is to teach younger women and to teach children. I said that last week. That is a primary role and responsibility of women as given by God's word. We can't deny that. However, That does not mean that there are not other roles that women can fulfill. The primary role is to teach other women and to teach children, to raise them well. But there are other ways for women to serve. We see these biblically. Indeed, women should be serving and should be growing in their service within the church in those roles, those unique ways that God has gifted them to serve. So I have these two thoughts and then we'll move on today. Women should be serving and growing in any role that the Bible does not specifically reserve for men. The Bible is specific, and God has reserved roles of service for men only. However, those roles that are not reserved specifically for men, we should be encouraging, men, please hear this, especially, we should be encouraging the women of our church to serve in those roles and in those ways in which God has gifted them. We should be seeking those ways in which the church can be served by the abilities and gifts within the women of our church to further our health as a church and to further glorify God as we seek to be complementarian in our view, seeing men and women operating rightly in light of God's decree, in light of God's ordinances, when we do not encourage women to serve in ways that God has designed them to serve and in ways that the Bible does not restrict we are hindering them in a way that the Bible does not. And the other side of that, if we are not doing anything at all, we are vacating the position that Adam was given, just like Adam did. If we are not furthering the the value of women in our role, if we are not seeing them grow, we are no better than Adam collectively as men in the church. And so those two things I felt were necessary to convey still this week. Uh, from last week's message. I do hope that you're able to go back if you have not heard them uh, and listen to uh, the teaching of God's word on the design for the family in general, the role of man, the role of woman. I'm thankful to know many godly women that help me, thankful for godly men that encourage me. Today we are focusing on the children. Family matters, the children. My goal today is to highlight the great value and responsibility that children are as a matter of fact, in doing this, if you are, well, I guess we let four, five, and six, and there's kids in the nursery. So if you're here between the ages of seven and 18 years old, you're likely in the home of your parents. Could you just raise your hand or stand up? If you're seven to 18 years old, just raise your hand up if you're in here right now. Seven to 18. There's one. Good. Couple. There we go. Keep those hands up in the air for me for just a minute. I would like all the adults to look around at the hands that are in the air. Okay? This is important. I want you to look around. There are hands in the air. Some, some may not want to be necessarily in the air. The young adult, the young teenage, put them up, please. Thank you. There we go. There we go. There we go. They're up there. Like, why is the pastor doing this to me? Because it's good. Okay, you can put them down now. They are our responsibility. It's not just good to have children in the church. It's most excellent. And It is a great responsibility. And so today my goal is to highlight the great value and the great responsibility that children are. Especially in a day when children are so often, unfortunately, nothing more than just a status symbol. It's just what we do. I grow up, I go to school, I graduate, I go to college, I graduate, I get a job, I get married, I have kids, I buy a house, I die. That's the world's track and children are just a check mark on that track. And we as Christians cannot at all, Lord help us, never to simply view children as a status symbol. Uh, we see them as a status symbol. We, always, we also see them as a great inconvenience. In our day, children are viewed as a great inconvenience. And you may think, I know this is counter to us as Christians, but you may think, are children really viewed as an inconvenience? Yes, and I will in one word prove my point. abortion. I'm not speaking on that today. But that one word demonstrates the inconvenience of children. Lord, forgive our land. God places such a high value on children, unlike our culture. What do I mean? The culture places value on children. No, they don't. I want you to truly think about the modern family. This is challenging, and I accept that. I'm okay with being challenged. I'm okay with saying things that are not well-liked. I want you to consider the modern family. We put a lot of value on children. Tell me how. How do we place value on children? Well, we, we provide for them. They have an education. That's correct. And I watched the bus pick up my neighbor children before 8 o'clock in the morning, and I watched the bus drop my neighbor children off at almost 5 o'clock at night. I know the sports schedules of most people. I know the activities that most people, including my own home, have their children involved in. And we believe we're placing value on our children by running them around to every possible thing they can be involved in and considering that quality time as a family because we're there for Johnny's soccer game or Susie's ballet practice or whatever the case may be. Yes, you are instilling certain things in your children but you're not spending quality time with them by sitting on the sidelines. You're not instilling quality time or value in them by sitting in an audience. You, as a parent, instill quality time in your children by sitting and having very intentional conversations with them. Don't abdicate. That's the word I've used through this whole series. Parents are able to abdicate their role just as Adam was. Don't do that. You may be very busy. That's great. You may be involved in a great many things. I'm not calling them sinful or you wrong. I'm simply saying, don't allow those things to overshadow your primary responsibility. God places a high value on children, and we as families and as a church must also place a high value on children. This is also a very interesting category because it is the one, or no matter of who you are, no matter your gender, we all are children. This is the one that doesn't escape us. I'll never be a woman, I'll never be a wife, I'll never be a mother, never. Ladies, you'll never be a man, you'll never be a husband, you'll never be a father, never. But every person in the room can unite around this one thought. We're all kids. We all have some parent or parental figure, every one of us. We can all sit and talk about very similar things, regardless of age. Why? Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, God said so, said there's nothing new under the sun. There are simply different ways that old things manifest themselves. Old things happen in new ways. Every one of us, regardless of your age, we could have a a table set up here and just have a round table discussion with all the different decades represented. And I guarantee you, of those who can reason and those who can talk, we would come down to all of the same challenges, manifesting themselves in different ways. Why? Because as kids, we all face the same thing. We grow up, we become adults, and those things shape us. Maybe you have forgotten what it's like to be a child. Maybe you are a child yourself and young, older people are saying, well, one day you'll understand. Those are both frustrating things. One, the child is frustrated by adults saying, one day you'll understand because they don't understand what they don't understand like you do. I'll say it again because it was twisty. Young people do not understand older people saying, one day you'll understand. They don't get, that makes no sense to I'll understand what? You'll understand, right? How often do we get there? You'll get it one day. You'll, what, what will I understand? What, what you don't know right now, you will one day. Thank you for not helping me at all. But adults also forget what it is to be a child who doesn't understand. We, me, I, I'll put myself in there. We expect more of children. I am guilty of expecting my children to be adults. They're not, not hardly my oldest is 12, and sometimes I expect him to be 32 or 42 or 72, and he's not. He's 12. So there's this mutual necessity for children to, one, understand that adults have lived a great deal longer than them and do have experience that they know the child is going to face and need. But adults also have to remember that they once were unreasoning, misunderstanding children as well. Children, we all are children. Children. I directed you to Psalm 127. I want to read the whole thing, even though we're only going to focus on a couple of verses here. I just love this verse. Uh, One of these days, we'll introduce a new song that actually is the first verse here. It's a wonderful song. I, I can't wait to sing it together as a church. I just want to read Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he who gives to his for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Would you pray with me today? Father, as we come to consider your word and what it teaches us in this short time about children, I pray you would help us. Father, as adults, help us to remember that we once were unreasoning and misunderstanding children. Father, for the children in the room, help them to know there are things they do not understand that those older do understand. And we are looking at them with that understanding. Father, help us to have relationships from young to old, that help one another along through every stage in life. Father, help us, through the teaching of your word, to place a higher value on young people. Father, help us to stand out in the world as we consider your word and what you say about children. Help us to stand out in a world that is ever-increasing in their inconvenience to children, who is too busy, who place no value. Father, help us to be unlike the world Help us, Father, to love children the way that you do. Father, the way that you have loved us. Father, help us to look at your perfect role as a father. Help us to recognize our position as your children. And may we learn how to live with one another in light of that relationship. God, I pray today that through the teaching of your word, that the sinner would be humbled to repentance and salvation. I pray that the holiness of your people would be promoted. And I pray that Christ the Savior would be exalted in his name. Amen. Psalm 127 is an interesting psalm. It's kind of broken in two parts. It starts by talking about the house. You saw it. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it in vain, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early. It's in vain that you go to sleep late. And then in verse 3, after talking about the house and the vanity of life, he talks about children. I almost wonder why this psalm wasn't written as one psalm or as two psalms, but it wasn't. It was written as one And right in the middle of it, Psalm 127, verse 3, behold. I love that word. I don't know if you have a different translation. I'm using the English Standard Version this morning. And verse 3 starts with the word behold. I don't know what version you may have in front of you, but if it says behold, you should circle it or underline it or highlight it or whatever you choose to do in your Bible. When God's word says behold, you pay attention to the words that follow. Behold. Behold. Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. As we begin to contemplate and consider children in the life of a family, in the life of a church family, in general, as we consider children, we must consider and remember what children are. Look at the two words that are used. Behold, children are... A heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Children are a heritage and a reward. I heard it said once, and I have searched to give author credit, but I can't find who said it. So I don't know if I just heard it, if my mind built it out of something else that I heard. But I heard it said one time, and I did put it in quotes, and I don't feel that it's my own statement. So I've given the disclaimer. Quote, our children are a testimony that we will send to a day and to people that we will not see. Our children are a testimony that we send to a day and to people that we will not see. Now, you may be here this morning and you may say, I don't have children, I'm not sending a testimony. Well, that, that could be viewed as true, but I say false because you are here and there are children present. And what are you doing to help shape their lives for the Lord? How are you influencing them toward God? Because the children of this church will no doubt grow up to say, when I was young and I went to church. And you, adults in the room, are a part of forming those thoughts that will then proceed from their mouth. I've been around people for far too long. I've been a pastor for long enough to know the testimonies that start with, I used to go to church as a child. My parents took me. They made sure I went. My grandmother took me. Whatever it is, as a child, I went. And I always think, what is represented in those words, as a child, I went to church? I want us to consider that what is represented there is a testimony that we as a church are sending through the life of that child to a people and a day that we will not see. We have no idea where in 10 years some of those who raised their hands that we looked around at will be. They may be called up to be pastors. They may be called up to be missionaries. They may be called up to be Sunday school teachers. They may be called up to marry Sunday school pastor, Sunday school teachers, pastors, and missionaries. We have no idea where they will be. But one day, this church will see young people grow up, and we will have contributed to their testimony to a people that we will not know and a day that we will not see. What will that testimony be? Your legacy, our legacy, is carried on by our children. I have six of them. I'm mindful that Psalm says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. I love Psalm 127. One day perhaps I'll teach on the whole thing. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. When a warrior would go into battle in ancient times, the quiver was full of arrows. Why? Because just like you see in the movies, a tactic of archery in ancient warfare was lobbying countless amounts of arrows out into the field to fall down on the attacking troops. So when an archer, a warrior, would go to battle, the quiver was full, because he might have to launch countless amounts of arrows into the air, or he may also have to be very skilled at drawing and sending a specific arrow to a specific place. Even in the Bible, we have the story of the king. Who is it? I can't even, is it Ahab? Is there another king? Is it Josiah? I cannot remember. Literally talks about, for the archers saw him, took aim, and hit him with an arrow. That was a precise shot, not just flung up in the air. Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. I myself have six children. It doesn't matter how many you have. You have an arrow in your hand, parent. And a warrior never uses an arrow unskillfully. I enjoy hunting. I've used this illustration in the past. If you've heard it before, bear with me. It's the best one. When I go hunting and see my target species, whatever it may be, I don't simply grab the arrow, pull the string, and let the arrow go. I wait until the target is in range, until I've calmed my own nerves, until I've taken steady aim, until I am sure of what is beyond the target, and I seek to take that game that the Lord has put in front of me. You're like, Pastor, are you comparing your hunting experience to parenting? I am considering that we should consider where we are sending our children in the future. Do you know the target? Have you pointed them toward the Lord? Are you releasing them into the world with the Lord in mind that they may reach their target destination well? Blessed is the man whose quiver is full. This is not a a sermon to say have as many children as you can, even though a few weeks ago I said have one every year if you're able to. Like man is called by God to fill the earth with children, so have babies. Young married people, have babies. If the Lord gives you babies, have them. We talked about how that in this world of time, as a result of the fall, not everyone will be able to have children. Let us be a church that is looking for ways to foster, to adopt, to naturally have birth if you are able to, but let us be a church that is considering that every child can be like an arrow in the hand of a warrior. And every child can be a testimony that is sent to a day and a time and a people that we will not see if they are raised for the Lord. If you are here today and you are blessed to be called father or mother, you are writing a testimony in your home. You are writing it on your children's lives and you will send them to a day and a people that you will not know and you will not see. How's that working out for you right now? How are you writing that testimony? What kind of parent you were, the kind of man, the kind of woman, the kind of husband, the kind of father, the wife, the mother, your children will tell everyone they know exactly about you. and They might not have to even say a word to do it. You are sending a testimony to the future. How are you writing it? They are a heritage, that thought, heritage something that is preserved, your line is preserved. Even we as Christians, we can think of this in a spiritual sense, even we as Christians are a heritage that has been sent by those who have gone before us from a day they didn't see to another day. This Friday night we'll have the live nativity. I hope that you're going to be involved with that. It's our opportunity to tell the story of Christ's birth. And in that story, as we formulate those thoughts and the things that will be said, as I'm considering scripture and penning words to help it make sense to the people that hear it, I was considering the shepherds in the story of the nativity. Now, we're going to look at Advent over the next several weeks. I can't wait to do it. But I was considering the shepherds. You recognize that we're here today essentially proclaiming the same message that the shepherds shared when the angel said, go see the baby and then tell everyone about it. It's all one message. It's all one story. And we are here because of our Christian ancestors that have gone before us. They're a heritage. We are a heritage and a reward I am not able to conceive of a greater earthly reward. We all want different rewards. But I cannot conceive of a more beautiful reward than that of being blessed with the life of a child. The act of God using one man and one woman to create life and bring it into the world. This is a sensitive topic, and I always tread very lightly here because I recognize that in the room there are those who have not been able to do this, those who have been hurt in doing this, that because of the fall, because of sin affecting all of us, giving birth to children is not a guarantee for every husband and wife that exists. Not every man will marry. Not every woman will marry. Not every person will experience the reward of having children. And as we hold that cultural thought, not everyone gets to have kids, so not everyone gets to have that blessing. Now we step into the church house where every person, man or woman, has the responsibility and the precious role of influencing a young life. They are not your specific child. They are not your biological children. But every child that is here this Sunday is affected by you and your input in their life. You are also writing a testimony on the lives of our children. So, whether you have biological children or not, all of us are called to remember that children are a heritage and they are a reward. And you are able. I am praising God for those in my own life and in the life of my children who do not have biological children, but realize the role they have in the life of children. Don't diminish it because they're not your blood. Celebrate in what God has given you. It's always difficult when I talk about children being a reward. I am blessed to know so many who have known this reward. And before I come across as insensitive, I cannot recount the tears I've shed with dear friends who do not know this. I have close friends who long for nothing more than to hold their own child in their arms. But God has not allowed that. And I want you to hear those words again. God has not allowed that. When we consider that not everyone has children, that not everyone can have children, we're right to consider Jacob in the story of Rachel. For all of his misgivings, and there were numerous misgivings for Jacob, He had one statement that was well-timed and worth our consideration. Jacob was deceived into marrying a woman named Leah. Leah and Rachel were sisters. Their father's name was Laban, and he was a wicked man. He deceived Jacob, who wanted to marry Rachel, and gave him Leah instead because she was older. And the Bible literally goes so far as to say older and not as attractive as her younger sister. But there were customs that we don't understand then that played into this. Laban deceives Jacob, gives him Leah. Leah is not the wife that Jacob wanted, and so Jacob serves Laban for X amount of years, and then Laban gives him Rachel. So now he's got two wives, which is already, as we considered a few weeks ago, outside of God's design, one man, one woman for all of life. Jacob finally marries Rachel. And all of a sudden, Leah is able to have children, and Rachel is not. The Bible says she's barren. Her womb was closed. Jacob loved Rachel, and Jacob wanted Rachel to have children, but as she was in, and many women, maybe you understand this in the room, as she was hurt and angry about not being able to have children, as she was saying to Jacob, give me children, Jacob says in Genesis chapter 30, verse 2, am I God? That has withheld the fruit of the womb from you? Now, I say that with great sensitivity, but as we discussed last week, when men and women get worked up, when husbands and wives get worked up, there are a number of things that could have been playing in that conversation frustrations, quarrels, you name it. But Jacob's statement is nonetheless true it is God who gives life. I do not want any husband or wife that may be here and may have wanted to conceive and has not been able to. I do not want you to know people who have tried to conceive and have not been able to. To let them think there's a problem with them. The culture defines that as a problem. What do they ask? I've lived this. This is in my family. When a couple can have children, what's the first question that we ask? What's wrong with you? Nothing. God has not chosen to give life to that couple. His design. Now this goes back to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to a bit of a circle here, so I hope you're paying attention. You'll understand one day. What will I understand? When you get there, you'll understand. That makes no sense to me. And God looking down from his throne of omnipotence and omniscience. Oh, child, you'll understand one day. But that makes no sense to me, God. I don't understand why, God. Oh, child, one day you will understand. Or one day you will not desire to any more understand. God has reasons for everything that he does. Everything that happens, happens as a result of God's knowledge and plan. And nothing happens outside of that. So let's not consider that husbands and wives who cannot have children have a problem. Let's not consider that those who don't marry are unable to have effect on children. God has purpose and plan for everyone, everywhere, at all times. Perhaps you are a parent who struggles more often than not with your children, especially your young ones. They're so busy. They're into everything. Last week, we were in the hallway talking, and some came running through with pool noodles. That was interesting. My son yesterday, my wife made some Chex Mix because it's the holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Who doesn't like Chex Mix? And all of a sudden, our two-year-old came out carrying a tub of Chex Mix that was almost as big as him. why, Why did you get... You got that off the countertop, and it weighs as much as you because it's a lot of checks makes. They're so busy. They're into everything. Like, you just, where'd they go? Where'd they go? Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Like, they're just, they're everywhere. And how many of us are like, <clears throat> it's, it's okay. Parents, I'll help you. We get so frustrated by their everywhere They're always into everything. Like, if we would let them go, there would probably be one, I'm surprised there's not a child under this podium right now. Like, they just are into everything. And stuff gets broken. We get so irritated. (sighs) Can you imagine how God the Father must look down on us? Right. Let it fall in your lap. Good grief. They're into everything. Why won't they just listen? Now, we ask that and we don't know the reason. God does. Perhaps you are a parent who struggles more often than not with your children. They're busy, they're active, they're into everything. They have no reasoning. They have no mind to understand. All Judson saw was food on the counter, and he wanted it. So he grabbed the bucket and brought it to the living room. Why? Because in his mind, he hasn't yet learned to think, Mom, I'm hungry. Okay, let's get some checks mixed, son. We always jump, don't we? Lord, forgive me. If your children were carrying pool noodles, forgive me. Our first thought is always those naughty, mischievous kids. Our second thought is always where are their parents? We don't see the beauty, we don't see the lack of reasoning, the opportunity, the, the help that can be given. We just jump to our own frustrations. The next time a child causes you to gripe and say things that shouldn't be said about your child or about children, I long for us as a church to remember children are a heritage and a reward from God directly to you as parents and directly to us as a church. They have value, they need to grow, they need to be trained, they need to be taught. And instead of griping, and instead of grumbling, and instead of being so frustrated with everything that comes along with children, let's just take them by the hand and lead them to the Savior. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, please. Now that we're done understanding what children are, a heritage and a reward, I want to talk about the responsibilities that children have. This one is a bit more broad because it applies to all of us. The responsibilities that children have, Ephesians chapter 6. Many of you are like, yep, we, we thought we would end up in Ephesians sooner or later. Pastor, we knew it was either going to be Deuteronomy or Ephesians or Matthew. It was going to be somewhere in here. You're right. Ephesians chapter 6. What is the responsibility that children have? Young people in the room, those that I called on earlier to raise your hands, those between the ages of 7 and 18 years old, I want you to listen very carefully in all the words that I'm about to say. I mean, like, for the next several moments. Because I'm going to talk about how you as children can bring glory to God. And I know that this is said often to us as adults. Don't we think about it? I hope we do. I hope we're mindful of this and thinking about how we can bring glory to God. But I know that for myself as a child, I don't ever recall a pastor speaking directly to me about how I could bring glory to God. And so for young children in the room, I want you to listen and hear how you are able to bring glory to God. And for every adult that said, that's right, kids, listen to the pastor, I want you to listen as well, because your responsibility is to help them bring glory to God. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This is an interesting little passage. Short three verses, sandwiched right between, if you'll pay attention and have thought about previous messages, Ephesians 5, dealing with husband and wife, now children, and it's going to go on to, and later in chapter 6, into the end of chapter 6, it's going to go on to employers and employees. So Ephesians 5, let's call it 22 through 6, maybe 9 or so, we're talking about stations in life, husband, wife, children. Fathers in Ephesians 6.4, servants in verse 5. We're talking about stages of life, circumstances, and stations in life that we may hold at various points in time. Children, obey your parents. What is wrapped up in children? First of all, let's think about this. They are a heritage. They are a reward. Children also are vulnerable. They are also in need of training. Children are those who are dependent upon a parent or, as we've come to understand in our day, a legal guardian. They're not able to do on their own. They need someone. Think about this. Why a parent or legal guardian? Because we intuitively know that the child doesn't reason or understand everything there is to reason or understand. They need help to be guided through life. Children are those who are vulnerable, in need of training, those who are dependent on a parent or legal guardian. The Bible says, children, obey your parents. If you are in this room and your parents are in this building, children I want you to hear this, your responsibility is to obey God by obeying your parents and so bringing glory to God. Children, obey your parents. Parents, you are the first encounter that your child has with authority. You have been shaping your children's view on authority since the moment they came out of the womb and entered this life. You have been shaping their view on authority. Throughout this room, there are no doubt numerous skewed views and thoughts on authority based on how parents have exemplified authority to their children. Some are better than others. Some we probably wish hadn't happened. But since the moment they were born, you have been demonstrating authority to your children. It starts at birth. Well, pastor, that child when it's first born knows nothing. No, but you need to know something. You need to know that the moment that child's life comes out of that womb, you're responsible. And you are demonstrating authority to them. If children are commanded to obey parents, then parents have the authority to require obedience. This is unpopular in our day. Nobody has the authority to tell me what to do. You're not my boss, and if you don't think that doesn't exist in homes, you're crazy. Who made you? Who made you? My boss, dad. Dad. Well, you know, I like to tell my kids, God did, sorry. God made me your father. God made me an authority over your life. God made your mom, your mother, She made, he made her an authority over your life. Parents, you are an authority from the moment they are born. If children are commanded to obey parents, then parents have the authority to require obey, obedience. Till when? This is a great discussion, one that we can't have fully here. I do believe there's a biblical argument to be made that a child has the responsibility to obey their parents until they leave the home and are married. (whistles) I don't know if I agree with that, Pastor. That's okay, you can disagree with me. This is just my thought, and I would be willing to go toe-to-toe with the Bible on it. I think that until a child grows to adulthood in this land, in our day, legally 18 years old to marry, until a child, a son, leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, who has also left father and mother, I believe they are obligated to obey their parents. You'll note that I didn't put an age on that. Every one of us should be thinking about that. I believe that if you are married, God has established a family. And when God establishes a family, he makes the man the head of that family. Who is that man accountable to? God. That man is no longer accountable to his father or his mother, though his father and mother do not just lose their place in his life. The role changes. How does it change? Would you consider with me what the scripture says? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Look at this, throws back to the Old Testament, which we're going to study next year when we return to Exodus, verse 2, honor your father and mother. How long am I supposed to obey my parents? As long as you're in their home calling them mother and father, and I'm so crazy to say until you're married and you enter a role of authority or you enter a new authority over you, right? Right? Young men, you're going to become an authority. Young ladies, you're going to leave the authority of your father and enter the authority of your husband. That's God's design. Till leaving father and mother and being united to wife, at which point the two become one and the husband is in charge and the woman is to follow, the husband is to love and lead, the woman is to respect and follow and to display, then, as husband and wife, the beauty and glory of the Lord. Children, obey your parents, verse 1. Verse 2 honor your father and mother this one will fall harder on most of the people in the hearing today children who are in the home you have a responsibility to obey your parents when you obey your parents whether you are a believer or an unbeliever as a young person when you obey your parents you bring glory to god that runs counterintuitive to most teachings in the church how can i bring glory to god if i'm not a christian Well, God receives glory when he is obeyed. When you obey what God says, God is glorified in that. And you are very close to the kingdom of God. Obey your parents. I have no doubt that there are people in this room who are like, oh my goodness, I can't believe the pastor's saying this to me right now. Yep, obey your parents. And when you are old enough to no longer need to obey your parents, then you must honor them. The roles don't change, but the relationship to the role does. Young man, you become an authority. Young woman, you submit to a new authority. Moms and dads who see children walk out the door to lead or enter into the leadership of someone else, let them go and pray that you have used the arrow that God gave you well. Remember last week's example? i got to help my daughter. She's married to such a lazy man. Dad, it's not too late if your daughter's in your home to get into her life right now and help her marry not a lazy man. We have a lot of responsibility, parents. Children, obey your parents. In the Lord, for this is right. In the Lord, this statement actually provokes some interesting thought. I turn to a commentary, Matthew Henry. I enjoy reading him from time to time. He observes this, quote, Some take this as a limitation in the Lord. That's the phrase we're focusing on, children, obey your parents, in the Lord. Some take this as a limitation and understand it like this. As far as is consistent with your duty to God. We must not disobey our Heavenly Father in obedience to our earthly parents, for our obligation to God is prior and superior to all others. Amen? He continues... I take it rather as a reason. Children, obey your parents, for the Lord has commanded it. Obey them, therefore, for the Lord's sake and with an eye to him. Or it may be a particular specification of the general duty. Obey your parents, especially in those things which relate to the Lord, your parents teach you good manners, and therein you must obey them. They teach you what is for your health, and in this you must obey them. But the chief things in which you are to do, it, but the chief things in which you are to do it are the things pertaining to the Lord. As I considered that lengthy quote, I thought, the child's responsibility falls in all of these. My conclusion is that Matthew Henry's observations on this verse is that it's all of them. I am not to obey any earthly authority that calls me to disobey God. We understand that. We obey God and we obey God first. When when the COVID-19 thing happened years ago, churches all of a sudden were learning really quick what they believed about civil disobedience. I respectfully say no, it is time for me to obey God and not man. That happened all over the land. There is a time when as Christians we say no to the law of man when it infringes On our obedience to God. Now considered, we are to obey God before any and all things. Children are to obey their parents because God has said so. Young children in the room, why am I telling you to obey your parents? Because God says, children, obey your parents. So you don't obey God. You don't disobey God to obey man. You don't disobey your parents because you feel like it or it's what your friends do. You obey them because God says so. And lastly... We obey especially in matters relating to the Lord. Why? Parents, I hope you're raising your children in the ways and admonitions of the Lord. We obey specifically in matters relating to the Lord because God says, for this is right. Look in the middle of verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It is right and godly to obey our parents, to obey our earthly authority. Kids, if you want to glorify God, obey mom and dad. It's that simple. Do what they say. Don't do what they say not to do. Obey them. Just obey. I tell my kids every day, it's so easy, but so hard. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you in the land. I can't wait. Lord willing, in January, we're going to return to the book of Exodus, and we're going to stand on the edge of Mount Sinai with the nation of Israel as it burns with fire, as it rumbles, as a trumpet sounds, as God comes down, and as God speaks, and they say, enough, we don't want to hear any more from God, Moses, you tell us what he says, because we can't handle it, and God will say, commandment number one, commandment number two, commandment number three, commandment number four, I do know them if you're curious, and then number five, Honor your father and your mother. I need us to understand that the honoring and obedience of mom and dad is so vitally important for God's people that immediately following the first four commandments, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no idol before me. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Don't have any graven images. One, two, three, four. Our relationship to God, immediately at the end of that, God says, obey, honor your father and your mother. It's that critical. The first four commandments all relate to us relating to God. And the first commandment that calls us to relate to people is us relating to mom and dad. Because if the home, if the family, if mom, dad, husband, wife, child, if that disintegrates, well, look around at civilization right now. Take a look at what's happening right now. As I talk about honoring parents, I'm mindful that you may be in the room and you may be thinking, there is no way that I can honor the hand of a man that beat me. I will not obey the mouth of a woman who resented my birth. I know these things are wrapped up in humanity. As a result of the fall, we are not all born to God-fearing good parents. But I do want to charge you carefully with this. Your experience with a less-than-godly parent does not give you permission from God to honor them any less or to disobey them. There is a way to obey and there is a way to honor that is pleasing to God even in those situations. How do we honor our parents when they're no longer living? Parents pass on. If the Lord tarries, I will come to the day where my parents are not in this world anymore. I don't want that to happen tomorrow, but that may be a reality for me in this life. And I will be charged with honoring them still. It's not like once a parent passes, we can divulge all the secrets and disrespect them and not honor them anymore. So for the older children in the room, how are you honoring your parents? Are you speaking well of them? Are you telling of their testimony? I'm struck by this very recently. Parents, if your children know how you came to know Christ, you tell them today. I'll say it again. Parents, if your children... Do not know how you came to know Christ. You call them and you tell them or you go to dinner with them or you have them come to your house and you tell them how you came to know Jesus Christ. Make sure your children know how that relationship started. I cannot stress enough the value and responsibility. Jesus himself let the children come to me Suffer them not, such as these are to those belong the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 15 verse 4, Jesus himself quotes that fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. The Old Testament, the New Testament, multiple places, honor, obey your father and your mother. May we be a church that is producing children that honor and obey their parents May we be a church that is writing an effective testimony to a day and a time that we will not see. May we be a church that is instilling in our young people you have value as a young person. You have the ability to glorify God as a child by obeying and honoring your mother and father. I could go on. I have an entire third point that I'm just going to chop right off the sermon today. I could go on and on. Men, husbands, fathers, Women, wives, mothers, children, the family is created by God to reflect God to the world around it. The family on earth is the greatest authority that there is on earth. There is no authority that supersedes the authority that God has given to man to lead his home, to husband and wife to train and raise their children. I haven't even touched discipline. How many of you are like, when are you going to talk about discipline? Probably an entirely different sermon. Look, we can't even, we can't discipline, we're so scared. Uh, listen, we record these sermons. Sooner or later, someone's gonna find them and we're gonna get canceled and I can't wait. People are so afraid of disciplining children today. I'm not gonna tell you how to do that, but if you're not exercising discipline over your children, you don't love them. The Bible says so. Spare the rod, spoil the child. He who doesn't discipline his, this is how severe it gets for God. Those who do not discipline their children hate them, God says. You're setting them up to be unruly, unable, uncivilized, rebellious people in the world. When you spare discipline, you are not loving your child. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. My experience, I, this, I'm so afraid of. People are so afraid that CPS is going to be called. People are so afraid that if, if somebody finds out, God has said, train your child discipline your child by whatever the means may be don't you dare abuse discipline can go too far, be careful but don't you dare be afraid, I have six young children I'm not afraid to discipline them church we also are responsible for the discipline of our children don't lay a hand on my child please, don't do that please have a hand in forming them. Be involved in the life of our children to the point that the discipline of a parent becomes easier work. Because godly men and women are pouring into the lives of young children. Parents, Christ-following parents, get a hold of the authority that you have over your child's life. All of us, parents are not, as a church, we have a responsibility to our young people. Men, men, Titus calls you to be sober-minded, dignified in all your speech, and to train younger men. Women, Titus calls you to be workers at home, to be teaching younger women, to love their husbands, to raise children. Children, you're called to obey your parents. We've hardly talked about the family matters at all. Let's start working on those things. May God help us as we submit to God's design for men, for women, for husbands, for mothers, for fathers, for wives, for children. May the earth be filled with the image and likeness of God. And may God draw men to himself as we show forth that image. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for what your word has given us. We praise you, Father, for creating and designing the family. We thank you for giving us directives to follow you, to live for you. Father, we pray for strength for men, for husbands, for fathers. Father, that in those three roles, whichever one a man finds themselves in, they will honor you in it. Father, we pray for strength for women, for mothers, for wives. Father, that you would fill them with grace and patience and care. Father, we pray for children, that they would grow to know you. Father, as a church, may we be sending a good testimony of you to a day to people that we will not see and we will not know. May be glorified in all of our living together as your people. Father, may we know you better and follow you better. May you be involved in all of our family matters. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at the mi.com. Until next time, stay in God's Word.